0: Um, I, I just want to reiterate that I, I will not be around this week. We are um, going up to Maine to a uh, funeral for my aunt, as was prayed for. Just ask that you continue to be in prayer for my family as they grieve the loss of my aunt. She was a believer and uh, is with the Lord Jesus, and so that's a great comfort to us. Um, last week, I began a difficult uh, section in First Peter where he exhorts Believers to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Uh, This included submission to emperors who may or may not be abusive. This included uh, submission to unjust masters as servants. And this week it doesn't get any easier for us. Um, Peter exhorts wives to submit to their husbands. He also exhorts the husbands. And the easy way out uh, is to ignore Peter and move on, to consider him a product of his time, a male figure in a position of authority within a patriarchal society, someone to be dismissed out of hand. But if we believe that this is God's word, and I do, and as an aside, every time, and we'll do this in just a moment, that we, after we give the reading of the word, we say these words um, the word of the Lord, I say, and, and you respond with thanks be to God. It's not just a nice sort of traditional statement. It's a declaration and a reminder to us that God is speaking. And so here we have God's word. And it's tough. But it's profitable for us. And in it are words of life. So with that, I want to encourage us in order for us to hear God's truth in this challenging passage and to be helped by it, we're going to need to humble ourselves, submit ourselves to the Lord and his word um, and to set aside some of those cultural assumptions that we may uh, uh, bring with us here. I mean, we all bring our culture with us. We bring our assumptions to the text. So if we can try and set those aside and try to understand Peter Firstly, within his own context, his own cultural setting, and then understand how it applies to us today. So with that, let's turn to the text. Um, it, it says here, First Peter 2, 1 to 10. Um, that is a misprint, but the verses below are verses, or chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, and that is our text for uh, this morning. So First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, it's printed for you in the bulletin. Uh, hear God's word. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, putting on gold, jewelry, clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. The word of the Lord. Be to God. Christianity uh, is countercultural. It was countercultural in the first century when Peter was writing, and has remained so in every subsequent generation. Even in the so called era of Christendom in the West, Christianity, true faith, true gospel, Bible preaching faith, was countercultural. It was Opposed or an affront to the mainstream of ideas in every age. So when we find this to be the case today, uh, we ought not to be shocked. Uh, it ought to be sort of part of the course. And, th- and in fact, this is what Peter has been talking about throughout his letter here, is what it means to live in light of the reality that we are sojourners, exiles, pilgrims, going through this life. That was uh, his call to say, this is not your home. You have a different home. And so we come to us to talk about issues relating to gender. Now, if there was ever a topic that was more confused and confounded and messed up in today's age, it is the issue of gender. Um, It's a moving target, right? Uh, You today can define for yourself your own gender, and it's a spectrum. You could be anything. Really. So when we start to talk about terms like male and female and gender roles within the context of marriage, uh, and never mind using the language like submit, we are viewed as a culture, as a people, as a group, as at the very best very old-fashioned, but more consistently at worst upholding a violent form of male patriarchy. That is the context in which we live, and the stuff that I'm going to share with you today. So I realize that this stuff in 1 Peter this morning may attend, uh, deeply offend some of your sensibilities, and I pray that you will at least listen. You may be surprised by what Scripture means when it calls wives to submit to their husbands and for husbands to honor wives. I think it doesn't only challenge us culturally. If you if you come in with that sort of Mindset of the world, and you're wrestling in those areas, and this language seems very, very painful to you for whatever reason. On the other hand, I also want to challenge those who've grown up in a more conservative Christian bent and to say that what Peter has to say also challenges some of our Christian cultural context. Uh, so it's not trying to pull people over to some sort of golden age of Christian culture, and I want to address that as well. Peter is calling us to live radically different lives from those in the world around us. And he's been calling to us to this since the beginning of the letters. We are called to live here as citizens of a different world. You are exiles, sojourners, and even as you strive to live holy lives, you will be maligned. People will speak against you as evildoers. That's what Peter said in the very last section that we looked at. Yet through our resistance to the world and our obedience to God, God is at work in transforming and changing the world. Your obedience, your suffering on account of righteousness, not suffering for sin's sake or anything like that, but on account of righteousness, is a part of God's plan to bring people into his kingdom and under his rule. And we see this even in our text, in this call for wives to submit to their husbands. So let's jump into the text. Enough preamble. The text is a call for husbands and wives to live as heirs of grace within the context of marriage. Now, I realize that some of you here this morning are not married And this text is very much directed at husbands and wives. Um, But I want you to realize that, that the principles behind them are applicable to everyone. We are called, as God's people, to live as heirs of grace, submitting ourselves, as Peter says, to every institution. And in doing so, we bring glory and honor to God. So we'll look at this text in three parts. First, wives. And heirs of grace, be subject to your own husbands. Second, wives and heirs of grace, adorn yourselves with the splendor of heaven. And finally, thirdly, husbands, co-heirs of grace, honor your wives. Now, you'll note that two-thirds of the sermon seems to be directed at the wife. Um, if we were to preach from Ephesians 5, it would be flipped. <laughs> two-thirds of the... War would be directed at husbands, but Peter is uh, here addressing wives specifically, and the reason being—and we'll, we'll look at this more fully in a minute—the reason being is essentially Peter is addressing those who find themselves in a place of subjection. Right? He's talking to people who are suffering under whether it be the, the king, or the emperor, whether it be under governors, or whether it be within the context of a servant in the position in a household. Uh, whatever position they find themselves in. He's addressing primarily those who find themselves in places of um, subjection, being under authority. So that's just a heads up. That's the reason I'm structuring it like Peter does, but it definitely does not mean uh, that the burden is uh, more so on the wife than the husband. So, But let's, let's move into it. Wives and heirs of grace, be subject to your own husbands. Last week, we addressed the challenge it, of the word subject or submit. And so this morning I want to examine it particularly with regards to marriage. Peter's day and our day are radically different. Uh, To be a woman or a married woman in the Greco-Roman society to which he was addressing was a harsh thing. It was a hard thing. One commentator described the status of women woman thus, as he went through and was reading all the various writers, whether they were the Greek philosophers or the, 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 the satirists or whether they were government officials, he cites them all. This is what he, he noted among, uh, by reading all these various uh, people and authorities of his day. He said, dominant among the elite was the notion that the woman was by nature inferior to man. Because she lacked the capacity for reason that the male had, she was ruled rather by her emotions and was as a result given to poor judgment, immorality, intemperance, wickedness, avarice. She was untrustworthy, contentious, and as a result, it was her place to obey. Women could not vote or hold office, could not take an oath or plead a case in court, could not be the legal guardian of their own minor children, and were legally dependent on either their father or their guardian/slash husband. This this is this is what was written into law, which was popularly embedded into the culture, this view of women. It is an awful and offensive description. But I read it because I think it helps us gain a little bit of an understanding of what Peter is trying to say. First of all, it is quite remarkable that Peter here is addressing women. Just as Jesus himself confounded Jewish authorities and broke with Jewish cultural traditions by, taking, uh, by talking to and befriending women in a way that was very uncustomary for Jewish men, so Peter here addresses these women as moral agents as those who can reason. And he goes even farther and says, in his instruction to the husband in a few verses, that they are heirs with their husbands of the grace of life. Of course, Peter is drawing on scriptural truths that come all the way from Genesis chapter 1, that male and female, God created them in his image. He created them. Both image bearers equal. Before the Lord. And so, for Peter to be addressing these women, these converted women from pagan society, uh, he is trying to encourage them and remind them who they are. One other aspect of the plight of wives in the world to which Peter was writing uh, was that they were required to follow their husband's religion. Now, Were the women that Peter is addressing. It seems that the, the, the people that he's particularly focusing on are wives whose husbands do not obey the word, ones who might be won by their conduct. So the assumption is that Peter is particularly addressing women who have come to know the Lord Jesus, who are following Christ, and whose husbands do not. imagine a harder place to be as that woman? Here she's told, I must follow Christ and put to death all the idols of my former life and all my pagan ways, and I have to live this life of holiness that God is calling me to, and yet my husband is against me in this. And not only is he against me in this, but I'm actually breaking cultural norms by going after another religion. This is the context that Peter is writing. So his exhortation is, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some don't obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Peter had a deep concern for these women. On the one hand, they taken the brave and very risky step of following Jesus, of going against their husband. And yet, on the other hand, Peter is encouraging these women as he encouraged those living as servants to submit to their masters, even as he encouraged citizens to submit to the government. And you'll remember in those descriptions of servants and masters and government, is that they were not good. The, the masters and the, the government, the, the emperor who would persecute them. So, similarly, she, Peter is saying to these women, Okay, I know you've been called into a very difficult task. You've been called to follow Christ. And yet you are living with this man as your husband. And so what should you do? How should you respond? It's hard. Just as Peter was calling us to follow the emperor in the last passage, or... Servants to submit to those who are in authority over them. It's hard as Christians to live under an authority that is at, a, at odds with the gospel. This is not an easy thing. This was a painful thing. Way back in the beginning in First Peter, remember he said, though you may be, it may be necessary for you to face various trials so that the test of genuineness of your faith, this whole letter is about the hardness, the difficulty, the challenge of living in a world that is not our home. And living under authority that is not kind and loving and gospel-centered. And, and so he's speaking to them. Okay, here's what you need to do. And so he says, submit to your unbelieving spouses. Seems too much. But what is it that these unbelieving spouses would see, Right? Well, first, they might be inclined to see a rebellious wife who had forsaken his gods and who was following this person, Jesus. And that might cause, and I probably would cause, not a little bit of tension in the home. Right? A husband, in this context, would have been aghast that his wife would go against his him, and that would be a shame to him and the culture and everything, and it would cause not a little bit of tension in the home. But what followed might have given, might have given the husband pause. Rather than being more rebellious as his wife followed this other God, presumably she was also obeying him and not engaging in the profane way of life of her husband. You know, as, as it seemed in his mind that she was becoming more. Rebellious in this way, it might have caused him to get upset, but then as she continued and continually showed her respect to him and her willingness to follow him in matters that did not hurt her conscience or her husband, it might have caused him to wonder. Okay, so she's, she's disobeying me and following this God, but she's still treating me with love and kindness and respect. She seems uncompromising in certain areas where she won't do things that I enjoy, but in other ways she she follows me. She she lives in a way that shows respect. Maybe there is something about this God that she follows that is unique and distinct. I am, I am, this is a hard text, right? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to describe a hard text, but you can start to see how her act of submission to her husband was something that was bringing the light of the gospel to bear in the way that she endured him. You see, here's the difference. I think, I think we think of Peter's words here as harsh, but I, but I think there's something about the submission that is unique. Her act of submission to her husband was born not out of fear of reprisal from her husband... But what was out of freedom that she had in Christ. She is a co-heir of grace. She is one who has an inheritance waiting in heaven, kept in heaven, being guarded by faith, ready to be revealed at the last time, as First Peter says. Her security, her whole identity is wrapped up in that reality that she is no longer under the thumb of anybody other than she is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so what she offers to her husband is a gift. She says, I I will submit because I want to please the Lord Jesus. I'm not going to submit by doing things that are against his word and I'm going to follow Christ, but I will honor you as my husband. And she understood, this woman would understand, that her marriage to this ungodly man was not outside the purview and sovereignty of God, but that God was using it for the purification of her faith and the possible salvation of, her, of the soul of her husband who she submitted to. So her submission was a gift. She was free in Christ an heir of grace. Well, the, the, the context is really different today. The cultural world we live in affords much more dignity to women, yet there remains always tensions within marriage between men and women. Women, It's just the way it is, right? Good godly marriages have tension, right? Uh, but this is just part and parcel. But there is a certain tension of a marriage between a believer and an unbeliever, and a wife who, following Jesus, willingly shows respect and love to her unbelieving husband displays to him the goodness and power of the gospel. Uh, I have seen and borne witness to the fact that living with an unbelieving spouse can cause great harm and pain and hardship. It's why Scripture says that to shouldn't be unequally yoked. But sometimes life happens and you find yourself in this difficult situation. Uh, maybe you are converted. Maybe your husband wanders away from the faith. Whatever the case may be, you find yourself in a position where you are married to a man who is opposed to the gospel. And, and here's the reality. Today's day and age, you can cut and run. You can wander away. You can walk away from that marriage. It doesn't matter. Most people will be proud of you for doing such a thing. Some of you will say, well, I'm going to endure the trial. Yet you, you live in that trial and you become embittered and you become resentful. You become disrespectful to your husband. You are tempted to belittle him or to treat him as a fool because, well, he is a fool. He hasn't followed Christ. And in some sense, that's true. But you can sort of go that way. You can cut and run, or you can just get embittered. But as you live with your unbelieving husband, you have an opportunity to show him dignity and respect, even if he's a fool. To live with him in a way that shows a deep love and concern for his soul. Despite even how he might treat you or how he orders his life, you can choose to offer him life. That's what Peter's getting at here. Well, we've taken some time to consider the call for wives to be subject to their husbands, even unbelieving ones. But we've done little, if any, to describe what it looks like to submit so I want to spend some time there. I'm to... It's a dangerous place to go, right? You always run into to problems here. But um, the text is before us. Wives and heirs of grace, adorn yourselves with the splendor of heaven. There are all sorts of concepts of what it means to be a submissive wife. Most of which are born out of the cultural ideas whether our day or some day in the past. And there's a lot of caricatures, right? So wives, what are they supposed to do? Ah, they stay at home, they cook, they bear children, they're quiet and obedient to their husbands, they don't think for themselves, they can be doted on because they're fragile, and you're expected to keep a perfect home, doing all the chores even though you're fragile. Uh, and they aren't to have jobs or positions of authority over any man, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is sort of a... sort of Christian cultural view of the submissive wife, caricature. But I think it's really quite notable that Peter doesn't address any particular duties that a woman ought to have in the context of the home. Neither does Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. The only thing either of these apostles address is their attitude and the way that they treat their husbands and the way that they live out their faith. There is nothing about washing the dishes. Nothing. And the very first thing that we notice in our text is that they are sub- to submit to their own husbands. They are not called to submit to just any other man. There is not some relationship that a woman has, that my wife would have with another man in this church. She is my wife, and I am her husband. Now, of course, anyone might be called to submit to another person who is in a position of authority. A government official, a boss, a teacher, a mother, a father, etc., an elder. But all of those things notwithstanding, a woman is to submit to her own husband. The next thing that we noticed is what we did, which we already talked about a little bit, um, and that is the wife is to live in a way that is respectful and pure. It's important to note that the grounds for family structure, that is, this idea of federal headship, meaning that before God, the husband is head over the family and is ultimately responsible for that family's spiritual welfare and care, That this grounds for this idea is not embedded in the culture, but it's embedded in the garden. Going all the way back to the garden, male and female, both created in the image of God, both equal in God's eyes. Yet they were given different roles in the garden. Adam, who was made first, was called to name the animals and to tend the garden. And Eve, who was made from the rib of Adam, was called to be his helpmate, his helper. Maybe that's a derogatory title in your mind. This idea of the woman is the helper. If that's the case, then it's a derogatory title for the Holy Spirit, who is called what? helper. It's also a derogatory for the Son of God, Christ himself, who willingly submitted to his Heavenly Father in order to help us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all one, equal, and yet have very different functions within the Godhead. And so this is what is meant by Paul when he says that the husband is to be head of the wife in Ephesians chapter 5. It's a spiritual role. To be um, completely honest here, I have no idea why the Lord. In his infinite wisdom, ordered things thus. Aaron, <clears throat> in so many ways, outshines me in her spiritual life to my shame. And in so many ways, her wisdom from above far exceeds my wisdom. Her maturity would seem to be grounds enough to have her the leader of my home. God has called me to the task. High and responsible before God for her welfare, for my kids. And there are so many days that I would rather abdicate. Way, way, more days than you want to count, that I would rather abdicate that responsibility to the more responsible party. But God has called me to that task. And maybe it's because, as men, we often like to shirk and get out of being responsible, particularly in spiritual matters. We do. And so Aaron respects that call on my life by God. How does it work itself out, right? Get to the nitty-gritty, Rob. What does it look like? Well, it looks like a myriad of things, a myriad of ways. Even sometimes rebelling against her husband and my leadership is an important aspect of showing respect. What do I mean by that? Well, as soon as I veer off the track of following Christ, she will rebel against me. It's good she prods and encourages me she challenges me and chides me she points me to my savior jesus so how does it look how does it work itself out notice i've said nothing about aaron's household duties and the work of raising kids that's for you and your own spouse to figure out we've worked it out we're working it out <laughs> we're trying all of this, Erin strives to show me respect and to conduct her life in a way that adorns the gospel, recognizing that in doing so, she is submitting not fundamentally to me, but to Christ. Notice Peter here. He contrasts inner and outer beauty. If you want to know what it means to respect and submit to your husband, And it means to respect and submit to Christ in your life. It means to follow Jesus. It means to adorn yourself with the character of Christ, who himself was gentle and quiet in spirit. It says in Scripture that like a sheep before his shearers, he was silent. Doesn't mean that Jesus didn't get angry. He cleansed the temple. But it means... He willingly went to the cross. Willingly died. He willingly glorified the Father. Of course, glory was His too. There's a lot here in the text. How this imagery of Sarah obeying Abraham and calling him Lord is a picture fundamentally what Peter's trying to say is this submission stuff is what it looks like to follow Jesus and to be a woman of God not not because you're forced not because it's demanded of you you notice it doesn't say husbands make your wives submit it says wives offer this gift Honor your Lord and Savior by showing this respect. Well, I've spent a way inordinate amount of time on wives. I realize it was the emphasis of the text, but I don't want that to diminish what he says to husbands. Husbands and co heirs of grace, honor your wives. First, it's a notable thing that he addresses the husband. It's the only instance in this section, in this text, uh, where he's focused primarily on those under subjection, where he addresses here in this place one who's in authority or one who is having somebody under them. And, and I think that's significant, that he takes the time out. He says, time out. I'm talking about what it means to suffer and for the sake of righteousness under, by submitting to every institution, but I want to take a time out because, husbands, you need to hear this. You need to pay attention And he says, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Again, here we go. Throw another bomb out there. Roll it down the aisle. Boom. Weaker vessel. What? What are you talking about? Weaker vessel. Much has been said about the language of this. It's been abused by men to dismiss women as inferior but peter has nothing so awful in mind in fact he is thinking very particularly of the position that a woman a woman in his day would find herself on a daily basis no power no voice no authority physically weaker often vulnerable, even in the home, And Peter is calling Christian husbands to reject the cultural norms and assumptions and to recognize the real fear that women would face within the context of a marriage. I'm going to stop here and say this. I have had the sad responsibility to deal with marriages within which there was physical abuse Men who claimed to follow Jesus, yet in reality who ought to have been in prison, but for reasons unknown, the legal system failed. I don't doubt that there are some here who face such situations or have in the past. Husbands, there is nothing more wicked than to abuse those whom God has entrusted to your care. Did you notice the very end of this section? It says, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessels, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Can I put it another way? God will listen to you. God will not, that's what it's saying. God won't hear you. The God who is saying, come to me all who are thirsty. I am a a door open. Knock and it's open to you. He's saying, if you are abusive to your wife, I can't hear you. But Peter says more. He says, live in an understanding way. You have no warrant or right to even mistreat or ignore or belittle your wife. She is your co-heir of grace. She is your sister in Christ, equal with you before God. She is immortal. Husband, you are a fool. If you do not listen to your wife, if you do not show her honor, the word here honor is the same word used a few verses earlier, the same root word used earlier to describe a Christian's call to show respect and honor to the emperor who is supreme. She may be weaker. Physically, And I realize that in, that's a generalization, right? There are women who are stronger than men, etc., etc., but on a spectrum. That may be the case, more likely than not. But she is equal with you in glory. Plus, men, she's likely superior to you in wisdom and insight. This is reality. In many ways, anyway, listen to her. Follow her lead on many things. Love her as Christ loved the church who laid his life down for it. What does it mean to honor your wife? What does it mean to live in an understanding way? It means to, as the, the one whom you've been united and are a one flesh with, it means to live as you would with your own body and your own self. It is a means to show respect and listen to and consideration and love and care and service. You guys are partners. Well, I want to close with this. I keep reiterating this fact that you are co-heirs with Christ. Together. The very beginning of of 1 Peter chapter 1 reminds you of the gospel. This beautiful gospel. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice. I think about my own marriage and my own failures as a husband, and I often grieve. I'm in a Grieving mode, (laughs) sorry for that, just dealing with real grief from a loss of a loved one, but also just grieving over my own failures as a husband. And Erin has her own failures. And as husband and wife living in the tense reality of the fall, we find ourselves sometimes at odds and sometimes in, in each other's arms and There's a lot of mixed emotions, but the one thing that we both cling to and the one thing that I think Peter is pointing us to is that this journey, this painful suffering that we face and living in various situations and submitting ourselves, it is a glorious thing that we are moving towards as the elect exiles, as those who have an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled, that together we are co-heirs of grace. Brothers and sisters, friends, we are co-heirs of grace. Let us submit to one another in love. Treating others as more significant than ourselves. Living with each other in an understanding way. Honoring one another. For this is what God has called us to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I confess my own weakness in this. I confess my fears and anxieties. Uh, I confess that uh, I don't always live in an understanding way with my wife. But I pray that you would be gracious to us. The one who is full of mercy. That you continue to transform us and mold us. That we would live... With you as our Lord, following you, trusting you, and that in that we might win some to salvation. As they look at our conduct and say there's something different. Lord, help us, we pray. For we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord.